Thank you, Ben. Well, welcome. Welcome to this time that we have together. I, uh, would you just put your hands together and welcome my friend Masab? We were, uh, we were kind of reminiscing a little bit. This is the third interview I've done with Masab. I don't know how many more we've got in our arsenal here, but it's uh, great to be with you again, my friend and my brother. Likewise. Thank you very much. So, uh, Masab, um, I read your book uh, when it first came out. I have a copy of it here, and I wrote some notes in it, so I would kind of keep on track today. But I think the thing that... Um, that really probably struck me the most the first time I read it, and then I reread it last night, um, was just uh, the price that you paid to do what you did. And I just want to say thank you. I know you've probably had a lot of time to reflect and and probably even second guess a ton of stuff in your life, as we all have. But uh, I just want to thank you for. Um, being a guy who uh, was a stand-up guy who really made some decisions that were significant. And as you read this book, if you've read it already, um, you'll know that you gain a, a new appreciation for what life is like in the Middle East. I think that's the one thing that hit me, that it's easy for us to look on to what's happening in the Middle East from Orange County, California, and not understand some of the, the dynamics some of the struggles, some of the difficulty that goes on there. So, Masab, I would love for you just to kind of give us a, uh, kind of an idea of what it was like to grow up and how your father became a part of Hamas and, and kind of bring us up to maybe that 17-year-old kind of period in your life, if you would. Right. Well, good morning, everyone. Oh, please to excuse me has been a while since I've been to a church. Um, truly, this is the first time in probably three or four years. Um, but really happy to be here. Um, thank you. Um, growing up in the Middle East, um, I grew up in a very conservative uh, Muslim family. My father is uh, one of the founding members of Hamas organization. I think most of us know what Hamas is. Um, and uh, he thinks that he is a man of God. He thinks that the Islamic path is the path to heaven. Um, he had expectations from us. Um, I'm his oldest son. He expected from me to be one day an Islamic leader. Um, and I'm sorry that I disappointed him. Um, I'm trying just to collect my words. Now, grow, growing up in the Islamic reality is not an easy thing. The delusion of Islam is very, very powerful. It's unlike other religions. For example, if some people grow up in the cave of Christianity, there are many forms of Christians out there and denominations. Some of them uh, are close 
to realize who Jesus Christ is. And many others, they're very far from the realization of Christ consciousness. Now, if somebody's stuck in this situation, you can just move from a denomination to another one. If a church is not working for you, go to a different church, everything is okay. If you don't go to the church at all, but you keep Christ in your heart, you're still fine, because Christ is the most important thing. Now, in Islam, if you leave, you die. If you say no to the God of Islam, they will kill you. Your father, your mother, who gave birth to you, will disown you. Now, this is the reality. This is how gripping the Islamic ideology is. And people don't take it seriously. We're not here to talk about Islam today. But this is where I grew up. My chances of finding a way out of that cave were zero. I don't know how I made it, but I think... Um, by the light of Christ's consciousness, I found a way. It's not my mind. If I follow my mind, probably I would be stuck still there. Um, I follow the heart. I did many irrational decisions. But back to your questions uh, regarding to that reality, uh, it's very violent. Uh, people don't value life. Uh, people think by dying, they can get to heaven faster. Um, I witnessed persecution. I witnessed oppression, corruption, many social problems. The entire society in slavery for shame, guilt, and fear. And all these are um, levels of consciousness that calibrates in the falsehood. When man is motivated always by revenge, by hatred, by pride, they won't find truth. They don't know what truth is. And this is the reality where I'm coming from. Now, I'm not talking about everybody, but the majority of people, the mindset, the mentality, the ideology, the God, the book, the intellect, everything the mind of that culture is a prison. And again, I pray, you know, um, that a whole new generation will find a way out from that um, prison. You know, it's, uh, it really is interesting. As you think about, um, you were given the, the, uh, the, the name by Shinbit of the Green Prince because of your father being a founding member of Hamas and kind of probably there was that understanding that you were being groomed for a position uh, within Hamas, um, which would be very interesting for what would transpire. So when you were 17, 18 years old, um, you were arrested and that began the next kind of phase in the journey of what your life would look like. Can you talk about you're arrested and then um, and then what the process was and how you experienced that challenge of, uh, from your own side when you observed the guards and how they treated um, other uh, members of, of, of Islam. And then what you saw also in the Christian guards and so forth in the prison. 
Um, I was arrested two weeks after my 18th uh, birthday um, by the Israeli uh, Defense Forces. And on the way to prison, I was beaten almost to death uh, because they knew that I was the son of a Hamas founding member. And those young soldiers thought that would take revenge for all the suicide bombing attacks by just uh, beating me up. Um, I spent about three months in interrogation. Um, sleepless nights, uh, I was not allowed to sleep. I was sitting on a very small chair, handcuffed, uh, bag in my head for uh, many nights uh, without sleep. Then I get rest for a few hours. Then they put me for to sit again for a week or two. Then I sleep again for a few hours. And this is how it continued. Now, when I came to prison, I already hated the state of Israel um, because of many reasons. Ideological reasons, political reasons, national reasons, and personal reasons. And I was thinking of a way to revenge. And the opportunity came when the Israeli uh, officer working for the Israeli intelligence, uh, Shinbet, offered me to, uh, to work for the agency. And I thought, this is my opportunity to infiltrate their agency and attack them from within. I was only 18. And this is how I agreed to work for the, one of the most powerful intelligence services in the world, thinking that I would be able to fool them at some point. <laughs> um, and uh, I thought they would release me from prison now, um, because they agreed to work for them. But uh, I was surprised when they told me, you have to go to prison, because if we release you, they will kill you. And this is not how we work. And uh, I had no choice. So now they sent me to prison where other Hamas members, um, thousands of them. They did not give me any mission. They did not ask me to do anything. They said, just go spend some time in prison. And when you are released, uh, we will talk. Now in prison, I was surprised by my father's movements, brutality. My perception of his movement outside of prison was completely different. You know, my father is a very humble, simple man. Um, he loved us, and I saw Hamas through his lenses. Um, I thought that Hamas is going to bring justice to our people, emancipate us from occupation, from social problems, from many other problems we face as a society. My father taught us to think like leaders and to make decisions and to stand for truth. This is what he did. This is what I believed that he did. And in prison, I'm face to face now with the brutality of his organization, killing and torturing our people for the suspicion of collaborating for Israel. Hundreds of prisoners were tortured, dozens were killed. Like to the level of burning their bodies, putting needles under their fingernails, 
Imagine, open and, your imagination. And this by Hamas leaders within the prison. This is by Hamas security wing. Hamas has different wings. Okay. And the wings are separated. There's security wing, military wing, political wing, and religious wing. Okay. Now the security wing takes care of all the members, study them and see their behavior. And they were looking for spies collaborators who gave information for the Israeli intelligence. Anybody was suspicious was tortured, basically. Practically, I was in a relationship with the Israeli intelligence. And uh, I told Hamas that I gave my word for the Israeli intelligence. I wanted to see what they have to say. I told them, I need your help. I need to uh, uh, do something against the Israeli intelligence. They asked me, to stop my plan immediately. They said, this will bring lots of shame on your father and on the movement. You cannot do it. Someone else can do this type of job, not you. And I said, okay, if this is what you think. When I go out from prison and they call me, I say, I don't want to see you guys. Now the problem started when they came and asked me what was my mission in prison. I told them the Israeli intelligence did not give me any mission in prison. They said, who is your network? I said, they did not give me any network, any name or contact. They did not believe my story. And they started investigating me. And I saw for the first time the real face of my father's movement. They did not torture me. But you can say that I felt the torture that was happening against every other individual and knew that if I was telling them the truth and they still did not believe me, this means that I'm not sure about the other prisoners being tortured. And I'm not sure about their credibility. And I don't agree with the way that they were torturing people. So this, you can say, basically was the first uh, awakening from that reality. Um, that my father's movement is not what it seems uh, to be. Okay. So you go 18 months in prison, and you're released, and that's when you turn into James Bond, right? I mean, you get like the cool car and all that good stuff, right? And the special exactly. ring and watch and all that that does neat stuff. But, what, but, they, but basically, they said, we want you to go to school. Right. When I was so no car. You just want to clarify that no cool car or anything like that. Well, I had a nicer car than the others. <laughs> um, but the uh, and by the way, this is the Israeli intelligence did not like this part. Okay. Uh, they did not like the part I was uh, wearing uh, like Western clothes, uh, going to the gym, and driving cars and stuff. They wanted me to be uh, a better fit in that society. So uh, basically when I was released from prison, I met with the Israeli intelligence for the first time um, and my, my goal was to tell them I'm not interested in working for you anymore. Um, and now in the first meeting, I asked them a question, why didn't you come to rescue the members who were working for you guys? And basically they said, that none of those guys were tortured in prison had any relationship with the Israeli intelligence. 
Now, I did not have to believe that from the beginning, but I already felt that when I was in prison. And the Israeli intelligence were not lying to me. They told me the truth. Because first of all, they did not connect me with any network. In prison, they would bring a poor prisoner from a poor family, and they put lots of mental and physical pressure on him. He had no choice but to mention a hundred names that they are his network, or they were his network. And this is how Hamas, this is Hamas' method of exposing collaborators with Israel. None of those guys actually worked for Israel because for 10 years I worked for Israel and they did not connect me with one individual. I was on my own all the time. Sometimes maybe I had Israeli special forces to protect me, but they did not know who I was exactly. They did not know about my mission. I did not know about their cover. They were around and I was not aware of their uh, being around. So basically, this is how intelligence works. And that brought me to understand that the truth of my father's organization is not only brutal, it's also deceptive. And it's very destructive against our people, first of all. And for many years, I wanted to take revenge from Israel. But here I am. I see that the real enemy is from within. It's not coming from outside. Actually, Israel took me to a court. They put very limited physical and mental pressure on me because I was about to commit a terrorist attack. And they had no choice as a small country but to defend themselves that way. At least I can justify it in my mind why they were treating me that way. But why Hamas was killing our people that way this is, I still cannot find answers, except that this movement is an enemy of humanity. And basically, um, I start to learn the truth from my worst enemies, the ones who I wanted to destroy at some point. They were not brainwashing me because I like to put things to experiment and I had my own experiments. And I was aware of what I was doing. I was aware of what they were asking me to do. For, first of all, I thought they're going to give me all the cool stuff and we're going to start doing uh, James Bond kind of thing. <laughs> well, the first rule in any mission we did was don't act like a James Bond. That was the first one. Um, second, go to school. They said, we have nothing to do with losers. You have to go to school to get your education. Sounds like your parents. Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Something like that. Actually, the, uh, the requirements of my uh, social behavior were much more uh, difficult than my parents. And uh, at some point, it became part of my job. If I'm not going to the mosque, they would tell me, why you're not going to the mosque? If there is a prayer time, we don't see you pray. What's your problem? What people are going to think of you? And when I started going to the church, they freaked out. <laughs> you know, they told me, this is not 
going to be acceptable because what people are going to think of you. You know, what you're doing here, you're saving human lives. You stop a suicide bomber. Um, you save many human lives. You go to the church. The word get, gets out. And basically, your cover is over. And you won't be able to save human lives. Which one do you want to choose? Religion? Or you want to do the right thing? And this was the reason why for many years I did not get baptized. Um, I was just going sometimes to some private uh, Bible uh, studies, uh, and uh, that was it. Um, the interesting thing is, uh, I think the taxi cab driver from London, and uh, he gave you uh, a Bible, a New Testament, um, and I don't think, even think you spoke Arabic. Am I, am I re remembering correctly in the, yes. in the story? Talk about that, how this encounter came and what you did with this Bible and how that was the start of another journey. You know, as you see, I started working for the Israeli intelligence with a revenge motive. And now the second motive became curiosity, to know the truth, why we were suffering, why I was suffering, why my father was arrested many times, like as of now, probably 20 times in a row. He spent two-thirds of his life in Israeli prisons. The first time, by the way, when he was arrested, I was only um, 10 years old, probably nine. The Israeli soldiers came and they took him from among us. And I asked the soldier, or one of my brothers asked, where are you taking him? And the soldier said, don't worry, we're taking him only for five minutes, we'll bring him back. So I went outside and I trusted what the soldier said. I waited for five minutes, five hours. They brought him a year and a half after. So basically we suffered a lot as a family because of his involvement with Hamas organization. And now for me to come and realize that Hamas is only a lie. And my father is dedicating his entire life his family, for the cause of Hamas. I, of course, wanted to know the truth of that movement, the truth of our society, the truth of our culture. And the best way was to see the reflection through other cultures, outside cultures, to see it through the mirror of Christianity, the mirror of Judaism, other religions, especially when you're part of intelligence service you know, reason becomes um, your highest method. And this is what I learned from the Israeli intelligence. And now I came to uh, the point where I was reasoning everything to understand the roots of all the social and cultural religious problems that we had in that society. And at that point, I became lost. I did not trust my father's movement. I did not trust the Israeli intelligence, not because they were asking me to do something wrong. Our goal was to save human lives. And I saw that those guys were sincere in doing that because the Israeli intelligence works for a democratic uh, system. And I was not exposed to a democratic system. I did not understand a state and church. I did not understand the difference. I was just 
I thought everything is like the jungle where I grew up. And now I see for the first time the law and order of the Israeli intelligence and how much we worked, they worked, to stop killings, not only against Israelis, also against Palestinians. And that was new for me. In the Palestinian streets, we learned that Israel wants to kill all the Palestinians, wants to corrupt our society, destroy our future. But here I am, I see that they care about me, they want me to study, they want me to learn. Actually, they want Palestinians to get more educated because they believe that this is easier way for peace. So these are the facts that I'm witnessing right now, but I'm still lost because I don't understand their agendas. And I don't see the whole picture. And many times I heard stories about, you know, how they can kill a spy after they finish with him and stuff like that. So I had my own fears as well. Till the moment that Phil mentioned, I was invited to a Bible study by a, a cab driver from the UK. He was visiting Jerusalem and he invited me. Um, and I thought, why not? I've been hanging out with the um, Israelis, Jewish, and I learned a lot. Maybe if I go hang out with some Christians, I learn, I learn something. And this is why I decided to go to the Bible study. Now, I was given the Bible, and I started reading the New Testament. And when I came across the teaching of uh, Christ, love your enemy. The universality of that teaching, which I believe it's beyond religions and it's beyond cultures, it's beyond earth, Jesus Christ, I like the words, you know, I know what you mean when you say Christ is the king of earth, it's amazing, but I think he's the king of the cosmos. I think he's the king of the universe. And even the king, I'm not sure, I'm not sure if the word king uh, gives him justice. Um, so I understood or I realized the importance of that statement, love your enemy. I was already in a relationship with my enemy. And I saw in my enemy closer friends than my own family at that time. And because I knew if my father knew about my relationship with the Israeli intelligence, he probably would kill me. Or maybe he would issue my death. And it touched me deeply. It moved me to the core. And a whole new chapter in my life started. My first motive was revenge. That calibrated in falsehood. Then maybe I had other motives like pride, shame, and all that. And now I came to the surface, to the bottom of truth, which is love. And love is unconditional. Especially, you know, when I extended my studies of the New Testament, I'm not here to preach, by the way, and I don't like to do, but I'm taking you on a journey of my uh, spiritual uh, evolution. 
Um, basically, the difference between someone who loves someone for an interest and someone who loves someone unconditionally is the difference between falsehood and truth. And my new motive and the new chapter of my life became to love my enemies unconditionally. The ones that I wanted to kill, to destroy at some point, I wanted to love them as much as I loved my mother. And the Israeli intelligence could not explain my inspiration that I was put in my life on the line on daily basis for close to 10 years to the level we destroyed the infrastructure of Hamas movement in the West Bank completely. Um, we stopped many suicide bombing attacks and again, I was doing it not for my enemies, not for my new friends, not as a reaction for where I was coming from. I did it basically for my own consciousness and for my own evolvement on my journey to seek, to seek the truth. Well, it's interesting because if you stop and think about your journey, you never could have imagined it. Just like no one in this room can imagine your journey in the days ahead and what God might have for you. But it's interesting that God had put things along the way and had brought you in a very um, unique kind of a way to bring you to where you are today even. And I think it, it's a great reminder for all of us that, uh, that really we are in God's hands, but we also have to make good decisions along the journey. I mean, think of just that one concept that uh, Mossab put it so well, that what if you really let love be the motivator of your heart and of your life, and how powerful that can be. Interesting thing is there's, and I, and I realize this is a rough number, but there's roughly 1.5, 1.8 billion uh, Muslims in the world. But if I'm correct, only about 300 million of them actually speak Arabic. Is that correct? Correct. Okay. So that we have about 1.2 billion Muslims in the world who can only listen to the voice of their iman. They cannot read it for themselves. And a lot are directed not out of the Quran, but out of the voice of that iman. Um, and then if we begin to kind of take that and look at it, we hear on our news all the time, and Mossab has been on, if you've watched news stations, he's been on CNN and Fox a lot in recent days because of what's happening right now in Iraq and Syria. And we're going to talk a little bit more about um, that in the, in the next one. We're going to talk about ISIS and um, you know, the Islamic State a little bit more, but uh, we'll, we'll kind of drill down. So both these services are going to be a little bit different, so some of you may want to stay for a little bit uh, longer but when you think about um, that idea, we hear this all the time. We even hear it from our president that Islam is a religion of peace. Um, I have a hard time believing that, but I didn't grow up in that family. I didn't grow up, you know, with, uh, in Islam. 
Can you speak to that? Is, relig is Islam a religion of peace? Um, Islam is, is a big problem. I think religion in, in general cannot lead uh, man uh, to peace. Um, whether it was Islam or other religions. But uh, the Islamic religion is a religion full of hatred, full of killing, full of revenge. And this is not my perception of it. It's actually uh, based on the facts of the Islamic uh, beliefs. Uh, the behavior of uh, Muhammad the prophet of Islam is obvious, is clear. Um, when we see today the Islamic State, and it's the Islamic State. This is the dream. This is the manifestation of the Islamic ideology. It's coming to the concrete reality. And people now, they look at it and they, whoa, what is this? This is Islam. This is exactly what Islam is. Now, we just need to be very careful to differentiate between Muslims and Islam. Because if you grow up in that environment, you would be shaped and conditioned by that religion, by that culture. You would be Muslims, simply. And we need, if you believe that you're superior in your intellect, in your mind, in your consciousness to theirs, then you have a responsibility. Um, you cannot look at them and say it's like a bunch of terrorists. Um, basically, they grew up in that environment. And this is their religion, this is their mind, this is their life. The religion need, itself needs to be fought. First of all, by Muslims. Second, by the rest of humanity. Because this religion is a dark, sick religion and needs to be fought. I don't care about you know people who uh, try to be politically correct. I appreciate their sensitivity and, and all that. Um, politicians, you know, who have deals with Saudi Arabia and other countries. Everybody can say whatever they want to say. The truth of Islam as a religion is not a good religion. It's not a good uh, lifestyle, and it's an enemy of Muslims and the rest of humanity. Well, that's certainly uh, a different, uh, different world we hear. Um, when we, I'm going to just touch on this a bit because we hear this term of a caliph or a khalifa, which um, is really a khalifa um, is, is an Islamic state. It's, a, it's a, a ruler over Islamic state. And I believe, if I'm correct, the, uh, um, the last Islamic state was the Ottoman Empire. But um, the word Khalifa, help me with this in the Arabic, it means successor. It means the idea that this is someone in the line of, of Muhammad. And, then, and so if you are a Khalifa or a Khalifa, then you have um, the right to demand complete obedience from all Muslims. Is, am I correct in that? Yes, you are. Okay. So when you begin to think about the establishment of Islamic State, what, you're what you have to understand is not like, you know, we want to set up a country like America, you know, like France, like England, like, you know, uh, 
South Africa or whatever. No, this is uh, total control and obedience is demanded. And, and I think that, that what we have to understand is when we get information like you get today, you never use it as a weapon to fight with. You use it as an opportunity to pray and to, and to extend the love of Jesus Christ. Now, that doesn't mean we don't take actions from a military standpoint. It doesn't mean that we don't do certain things. But no, when it's all said and done, we have a responsibility to love our neighbor and to pray for peace. When peace is not possible and we have to stand, we stand. And that, that's the balance that I believe we have to understand in this, this whole process. Um, let, me, let me ask you um, a little bit about you spend 10 years, you come to a place to where you say, I can't do this anymore. Now, I, one thing I do appreciate, if you read the book, you'll know this, that, that your agreement with uh, Israeli intelligence was that your information can never lead to the, the loss of life. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. So there comes a point at which you say, um, I can't do this anymore. 10 years is a pretty long run, honestly. So what, what brought you to the place of saying, I can't? I don't want to work with uh, Shenbit anymore. You know, as, as you see, I'm still learning about my own journey, by the way, uh, analyzing my decisions. And many times I found myself on an intersection. And uh, uh, the rational decision was uh, to go to the right. The irrational was to go to the left. But uh, the irrational decision was affiliated with the heart. I followed the heart. Somehow I made it. Um, I found myself stuck with the Israeli intelligence, you know. Uh, it was given uh, very important information. And more important than given the information, that they had the information, but they did not know how to analyze it. Um, as a son of that culture, I was able to piece things together. Uh, now, the problem we had, um, they wanted me to stay there forever, and I, I couldn't stay. They, uh, when I start uh, thinking about leaving the agency, they said, we have to put you on a polygraph test. And uh, I've done many polygraph tests. But this time, I sit on the test and... I failed. Surprisingly, I failed. I did not understand what happened. Um, they put me in a room, they closed the room, they said you cannot go anywhere. And I said, okay, do whatever you want to do. They said, you won't be able to go home till you tell us what came to your mind during the test. I was like, guys, we worked together for 10 years and you understand how much I risked my life on daily basis to save human lives. Do you think I can fail a test for being a terrorist? You're completely mistaken. Um, so they said, there is no way. They left, they put me in a room, and in that room, um, this is when I decided that it was over, no matter what the, their decision is going to be. To kill me, to put me in prison, to expose me, no matter what, I'm done with working for the Israeli intelligence. They came after a couple of days. I was in a basement somewhere in Jerusalem. And they 
uh, said, you have to go through the test again. They put me on the test, and this time I passed the test. Same questions. And I thought that was just uh, the divine's voice uh, giving me the biggest sign that it's over. You did your mission, you learned what you learned, and now you need to uh, go somewhere else. So that was my decision when I decided to uh, leave the agency. Uh, even though you know I had all the comfort, uh, I was paid by the Israeli intelligence, by Hamas, by the Palestinian Authority, and at that time I actually was working for the U.S. government, and I was paid by the U.S. government. So. <laughs> I had the protection of uh, Hamas uh, military guys and the protection of uh, um, the Israeli intelligence as well. Uh, my game was big game. Even was a, I was a very young uh, uh, guy, but I did many amazing things that people usually um, don't get a chance to do in their lifetime. And I thought, as I left Islam as a captivity, the Israeli intelligence and the mind in general became my new captivity. And I had to transcend that barrier as well. Um, I learned a lot. It was the biggest school in life. But I think I thought it was over. And this is when I decided to come to the United States of America. Well, we. Uh we are completing this uh, part of the interview. I know it could go on forever, but there's another crowd coming in, and they'd like to also enjoy this. But we encourage you, if you'd like to stay, uh, any of you, you're welcome to stay for the second service. Um, Mossab, I thank you so much for being here with us today and uh, sharing a little bit of your life. Could you give him a thank you? Thank you. Thank you very much. I wonder if you'd just stay standing and uh, just bow your heads with me right now. I, I'm going to ask you to, uh, to really look into your heart right now. See what's in there. See how God is um, speaking to you uh, about, about the cross and about what Christ did and about his love for mankind. And right now, whether uh, you profess to be Christian or not, whatever your... Um, allegiance is to in terms of spiritual matters, I, I want to ask you to, to really take a moment right now and look within. Jesus is um, the life. He is the way. He is the truth. And right now he's coming and uh, uh, to speak to your heart if he hasn't already. Would you just open your heart and your mind up right now and just say, Jesus, above everything else, I want to know you. I want to know uh, the king of the cosmos as our friend said it so well, the King of glory, the God who demonstrated his love by dying on a cross. And even in that moment said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do as they crucified our Savior. Would you, uh, would you move in his direction right now if you're not already a believer? If you are a believer, would you recommit your life to live for him? If you are in that group of the, of the ones who have not yet 
confessed or not sure if you know Jesus, I'm going to give you an opportunity right now uh, just to pray a prayer of faith, a prayer of uh, allegiance to the one who loves you, the one who gave himself for you. In your own heart, you could pray this prayer, but it's your faith that counts. It goes like this, Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for me. It was out of love that you died. You rose from the dead to give me the gift of eternal life. So I ask you to save me, to give me eternal life, to grant me this love that comes from the Father, that I might live out all my days, not for revenge, not for greed, but for you, that I might extend the love of the Father to all men. If that was your prayer today, I'm just going to ask you to, in your own words, just thank him. Would you just, in your own heart, just thank him. Thank Him for saving you. Thanking Him for loving you. If that was your prayer, and 